The last couple of weeks, our pastor's been sharing with us about the power of some things, the power of gnosko, or knowing and understanding God, and the power of solitude, of being alone with God. And I know some of you, even this last week, have said, you know, I really need to be and learn how to be alone with God. And some of you, how many took some time this week to be alone with God? Yeah. I hope that was a valuable time and it becomes something that we begin to feel more and more comfortable with in that setting. And today I want to kind of, uh, in that theme, I want to talk to, to you this morning about the power of trusting God, counting on God. Have you ever had anyone in your life that, you, that really came through for you? At some point in time, somewhere, in some way, uh, had someone who... Uh, Maybe it was a friend or a colleague or a parent or a partner or a group of people that you counted on or relied on, rose the occasion and met a need in your life or kind of came with some perceived hope or expectation that you had and they just kind of came through for you. I venture to say most of us have had, or at least I hope, at least everybody's had at least one person or one experience where somebody said, you know what, they really came through for me. Some of you, maybe that, it's never happened, and that's a tragedy of sorts. But my question this morning is, have you ever seen God come through for you? This morning, I want to talk to you about counting on God and about doing so, and doing so by introducing you to a man named Daniel. One of the things I, I love, I love the Old Testament for the stories. How many of you grew up in Sunday school? Yeah, you remember the stories. You know, I can't remember any sermon, you know, outlines, but I remember stories, and I'm a, kind of a story guy. You know, I remember when I was in seminary, they taught us how to preach like Paul, but they said that Jesus is the master teacher. I never understood that. And Jesus told stories most of the time that people could relate to, and I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And, and this morning I want to focus on a story uh, and a couple of stories uh, of a man named Daniel and three of his closest friends. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, although you probably know them by different names. You probably, if you went to Sunday school, remember names like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those are those, those people. And I wanted, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. And read along with me as I uh, introduce these guys to us. And we're going to talk about what it means to count on God. In, uh, in the third year, it says, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And among them were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. 
to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now let me give you some of the circumstances kind of behind what's going on here. Jerusalem has been invaded and virtually burned and destroyed. It's gone for all intents and purposes. And as a result of that, not only was it gone and burned, but it was looted and it was looted by Babylon and in particular by Nebuchadnezzar was the king and established this army, sent him in, took him out, wiped him out and carried all the treasuries back from that temple back to Babylon. And among Israel's greatest treasures that are lost and carried off in that way are the women and children of the rulers and the nobility that was found in Jerusalem at the time. And the strategy of the Babylonians was quite simple. It was to kill all the rulers and the most capable leaders among the men to steal their wives and women for themselves and effectually to deprogram and reprogram their children in such a way that they forget where they came from and forget who they were back in Israel and that they would become assimilated and accompanied into the life and even the leadership of Babylonia in such a place where they would think of that as their home and not where they came from. That was the goal. That was the purpose of this time and that they would gladly do so because they had no memories whatsoever of where they came from or who it is that they served in that particular sense. And the Babylonians' hope in doing so was to leave Jerusalem leadership and diminish the chances of an uprising or a liberation movement to take place. And among the children, if you will, that were taken off, that the Babylonians carted back to their home in Baghdad to carry out this strategy are this young man, Daniel, and his three friends. And I would hasten to remind us that they're about the age of the people who are sitting in the first two rows here. They're teenagers. They're not 35 and 40 years old. They're 15, 16, and 17 years old. To some of us, they would be kids. That would be an affront to those of you. They're students. They're young people. They're the people that our pastor increasingly has a heart for, and you and I as a church are gaining a heart for including in this mission, in this ministry that God has for Coastline in his future. Now, you would think in these kinds of circumstances, young people, teenagers, would simply try to survive the ordeal and Uh, by complying to their captors' wishes just to stay alive. And in most instances, I'm sure that often happened. That was what Babylonia did to all their captives' cities. But in these four boys' lives, the circumstances instead serve as a reason to kind of take a stand and to never forget the Lord, to never forget Him. And their rallying cry becomes, God is able. God is able. And because He is We can count on him. We can count on him. Which raised the question in my mind when I began to read this is this, what's involved in counting on God? What's involved from our perspective? What's the part that we play in preparing, if you will, to see God come through? for us in some way, form, or faction in our lives. And I want to give you what I think are three characteristics from the lives of these four young men that kind of give us a glimpse of what some of the practical things we might consider and apply to our lives today to see God come through for us. Here's the first one. Counting on God involves resolving some things within yourself. That's what we see happen here. 
among these three things, uh, we read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, that it, it says uh, back, back in chapter, uh, let's see, 1 and in verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. It says, but in verse 8, it says, But Dan Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission instead not to defile himself in this way. He resolved some things within himself. This resolve took on two aspects, I think. The first one had to do with being devoted to principle. Daniel and his friends here were devoted to principle, and, and by principle I mean that, that what he knew and understood to be the word and the will of God. You see, Daniel understood that this food that was prepared for the king at first more than likely gone over to the Babylonian uh, temple, and it was offered first to the God of Babylonia. And as a result of that blessing, if you will, that was not presented. It was part of a ritual that they went through, part of this deprogramming ritual that he went through. And Daniel said, you know what? That is a breach of my conscience. That's a breach of my conscience. It, it, it smacks in the understanding of not putting my God, the living God, the one true God, first and foremost in my heart and in my life. It was an issue of conscience. And he made a resolve that there would be no compromise with regard to his convictions, his conscious convictions. You know, we are living in a time when people have fewer and fewer convictions. And as a result, we are increasingly subject to relativism. And it shows up in things like our values and integrity and in, even in doctrine in the course of Christian circles. And that has implications for the way in which we live in all kinds of areas of our life. A breach of conscience, even if we don't have chapter and verse for every kind of thing. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul talks about this idea of, of uh, there was some issue among the new Christians because there were... Uh, able to get meat cheaper if it was offered in the Corinthian temples. And Paul said, you know, I don't have a problem with us eating that meat because I don't believe those gods are even real. But if you have a problem with it, don't participate because you're breaching your conscience. And even if there's no scripture to provide a reason for you not to do that, if you're breaching your conscience, you are sinning against yourself in that particular situation. Don't do it. If you're free to do it, free, go. But if you're not, don't breach the conference, your, your, your convictions on that. But here's, here's what he was talking about. He's talking about living by principle, being devoted to principle. There was a second aspect of this resolve that they have, and that was to be open and committed to an alternative course of action. You know, one of the things I find interesting sometimes is that uh, the alternative in this particular case was to live and to do things that were true to God and true to who he was as a believer, Daniel. And as a result, what happens is that Daniel negotiates with his boss. And notice what he doesn't do with his boss. He doesn't say, you know what? I expect you to change everything that you have about Babylonia and establish it by my God's principles. He doesn't do that. Sometimes we, we think that the whole world should change so that we can live consistent to our Lord. And our expectations for everybody else to become convicted be, and convinced of the Lord before we, before we can really live it out. 
That isn't what he does here. He says, you know what? I realize that you don't believe this, but we believe this. And as a result, what I'm going to ask for you to do is we're, we don't want to have the food that's offered to, uh, to the gods in Babylonia. What we, what we want instead to do, what we ask for instead, is that you feed us just vegetables and water, and that will be enough. Feed us vegetables and water for the next 10 days. And then he says, and do three things. Give us just that opportunity to be true to ourselves and our conscience and our Lord, and then test us at the end of those, three, those 10 days. And compare us against everybody else that you give the food to, and then treat us accordingly. Test us, compare us, and treat us accordingly to what you see and what we produce. And their expectation in the midst of that is that God can and will meet our needs. We know and we trust him in that regard. And that's exactly what happens. Chapter 1, verse 15, it says, At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and wine that were, they were to drink, and they gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You know, I talked to people who in business and in the marketplace said, you know, I can't be true to God in my business. It's impossible out there. I just can't do it. I can't be a believer. I've got to compromise every day or else I can't be successful. I won't be successful. I won't be able to make it in that particular. I won't get the kinds of promotions that, uh, that, I, uh, that I'm hoping that my family might need. And what they really are saying, what we really are saying oftentimes is I, is I can't count on God to meet my needs. I can't wait on God to meet my needs. And that has implications in the way in which we give, in the way in which we live in lots of different areas. We don't trust God. Let me ask you something this morning. What's your resolve when it comes to trusting God? Are you devoted to principle or to compromise? And are you open and committed to a course of action that's consistent with the will of God and the word of God as you understand it to be or the principles of God or to any particular course of action that's convenient at the moment? Now, what, what I want you to see is not only do these guys trust God in the midst of that situation, but they saw God come through for them. And then there's this little line in verse 21 that if you don't get it, you'll miss, I think, the biggest part of this. It says here, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That doesn't sound like much, does it? But that was 66 years. For 66 years, Daniel remained 
in a hostile place to his faith, faithful to his God in a key position of leadership with a guy who didn't believe as his boss. That says a lot. <laughs> that says something for you and I to consider. That God wants us to have some resolve with regards to things. And when we resolve to be faithful and true in that particular, true to God and true to ourselves, true to our conscience in some of those kinds of ways, that God can come through. Here's a second one. Counting on God involves requesting some things. In particular, requesting what you need from God. Now, that sounds obvious. I realize that. But I, but I realize in my own life how prone I am to try and handle things on my own or in my own strength or my own understanding or at this oftentimes at the expense of seeking and asking God to intervene and to provide for me. And I have a feeling it's one of those traits that seems to come with being male. <laughs> we think that it all depends on us, and that's the way we orient ourselves sometimes. In chapter 2, it says that Nebuchadnezzar, in the second year of his reign, had dreams, and his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. And so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to, and I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king and said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king says, I'm not going to make it that easy for you. I want you to not only tell me what it means, I want you to tell me what my dream was so that I know that you really know what you're talking about and are not just feed me a bunch of lines because I'm the king. O king, live forever. And they said to him, but king, that's impossible. Nobody can do that. He says, if you can't do this, I'm going to have you cut to pieces and your homes reduced to piles of rubble. And again, they said, nobody can do that. You're asking for the impossible. And he calls the guards and says, come and get them and take them all out and wipe them out. You know, sometimes the demands of unregenerate people are quite unreasonable. <laughs> for that matter, sometimes the demands of regenerate people are just as unreasonable. They're not any better. But in Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, it says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king's officer, why do the kings issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went to the king and he asked for time so that he might inter ter interpret, the, uh, interpret the, the dream for him. And then Daniel returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. It was revealed to Daniel in a vision. God answered let me ask you, what do you do in the face of circumstances and situations when it's beyond your ability to resolve them? Do you worry? You know, how many of you woke up in the middle of the night 
of sometime in the last couple of years with regards to your financial situation and found it a little more difficult to get to sleep than it did maybe five years ago. Do you fret? Do you scheme? Do you run? Do you spin? Danny gets word that he's going to be executed along with all the other guys. And he goes back to his friends and says, guys, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. You know, some of us, and I wish this wasn't the case, but I'm going to be a confession. Some of us think that we should only come to God. When we come to God and we have a need, it's because we've got this weakness and we don't like that. So we kind of, we like to come to God in our strength. And we think that God's going to treat us like we would treat somebody who comes to us kind of like whiny, you know, like, <laughs> I don't want to, you know or find fault with us because we're these kind of these weak little people. It says just the opposite. God says, I love it when you come to me. I love it when you don't know the answer. I love it when you don't have the perspective. I love it when you're in over your head. I think more of you in that regard, not less of you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And listen to what David says. It says, and then David praised the God of heaven, and he said, praise be to the name of the God for the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. And I thank God and praise you, O God of my fathers, for you have given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You know, I discovered over the course of 35 years of ministry, I discovered that God is seldom early, but never late. As a senior pastor, I was reminded of that almost annually at the end of the year because we always had these big goals for year-end giving and and we would and I would make this little chart on my wall and nobody could see it and I would you know chart where the giving was at the end of the year it was like two or three or four or five times more of what we were expecting on a month to month basis and and uh, the finance team would tell us well this is how much we need to have every week to meet this goal and every week we would have nothing close to that amount of money nothing close to that amount of money and I'd go to meetings and say, well, we didn't get it this week or we didn't get it this week. And, and I, after a while, I began to realize, you know what? God, over the course of many years, God is seldom early, but he's never late. And then virtually every year, the, 
that last week or those last few days we would receive those that would get right up near that the men and I just would marvel at that. Some of us often ask ourselves, you know, um, or wonder why our prayers don't seem to get answered. Our prayers don't seem to get answered. And, and we may have to ask ourselves, uh, you know, James tells you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You know, one of the questions that we might want to ask ourselves when we have our prayer requests before God, who's going to get the glory when this happens? Is it going to be all about us or is it going to be God? Notice where Daniel's, who gets the glory in Daniel's situation? It's the Lord. It's the Lord over and over and over again. Verse 27, Daniel says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that, he, that he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that have passed through your mind as you lay in your bed are these. And then he goes on to tell him what this vision was and to tell him what it means. And in verse 45, it says, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock that cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. And then it says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. And the dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. And it says, and then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, and he paid him honor and ordered that an offering be and, uh, and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of the mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position and he lavished gifts on him and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon he placed him in charge of all of his wise men and moreover at Daniel's request the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court our pastor has a vision for coastline and it's a vision that is percolated in his heart and mind for years for a church and is percolating in his heart and mind as de- develops for Coastline in the future. And I would imagine over the course of the next year that's going to come out a little bit more as God begins to not only take this opaque picture, but he begins to fill in some of the color of it and begins to feel a sense of confidence and confirmation and the timing to be able to share it with you, having heard it from the Lord. But he's begun with giving the reality and the importance of prayer. And that God is going to get the glory. And one of my dreams for Coastline is that in five years that we're going to be here again and we're going to be celebrating this this vision coming to be. And we're going to look back and one of the things is, look what God did. Look what God did. Not look what Aaron did. But look what God did. And look what God is doing through the hearts and the minds of people who give him the glory and get involved in what he wants to be doing and get behind those kinds of things. You see, counting on God involves, it involves requesting some things 
and trusting that God is a perceiver of our hearts and our minds as we share those things with him. Here's the third one. Counting on God involves remaining. And by that I mean remaining faithful regardless of the consequences. I don't know if you realize it, but there are consequences to following after God. Not everybody thinks that you're the best person in the whole world because you are. In chapter 3, Daniel says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. You know, this guy doesn't learn. I mean, he, he is all about, oh, your God is the greatest God. And two weeks later, he's doing some other crazy thing. Here is it. Two weeks later, essentially, King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and he sets it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. More than likely, an image of himself. And so the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all the other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they stood before it. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what we're commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zithrit, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And whoever does not fall fall down and worship, will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Whoa. Well, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all the kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everybody except three guys. Do you have any idea who those three guys were? It's our buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Whenever they hear the horn, they find their way back to their apartment. <laughs> they kind of sneak out, and, and they open the blinds, and they look out toward Jerusalem, and they get on their knees, and they worship the Lord. And somebody finds this out. And they go to the king. And the king said, uh, you know, how's it going with the image thing? He says, you got the horns playing and everybody's doing it. He says, you know, everybody's on board. Everybody's listening to the music. Everybody's bowing down. Except but there's these three guys, these Jews that you have allowed. In fact, you've promoted them. They're not on with the game. They're not happy about, I mean, they're not participating. And it says that the king gets furious about this. There's some Jews that he says he's furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, <laughs> it cracks me up. They've got to say everything. You know, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the ho, the pipes, and all of it. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, well, then very good. But if you do not worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, get this. This is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. He says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand. He says, but even if he does not, even if he doesn't, we want you to, to know, okay, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. We won't do it. We can't do it. We resolved some things back when we were kids. We've seen God through come for, through for us time and time again. We've counted on him, and he's come through. And we are going to remain faithful to him, no matter what. So do what you got to do. Well, the king gets ticked. <laughs> and he has his people bind them up and take them out to the furnace. And it says the furnace was so hot that the guys who threw them into the furnace burned up. <laughs> and then the king got a report. He said, how did it go on that burning of those three guys? He says, well, it seems to have gone good, except, you know, we got a problem. They're still alive. And he said, what? what do you mean they're still alive? He said, let me go check this out myself. And he goes out to the furnace, and he looks in from distance, and he said, wasn't there three guys that you threw into this furnace a little while ago? And they said, yeah, there's three. He said, how come I see four walking around? How come I see four? You know, it's interesting me, to me, uh, That God, one of the things that God reminds us of is that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this one, he said, who is with him, looks like a son of the gods. Even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we will serve him. You know what the world and the watching world wants to know about our relationship with God is, is it real? Do we believe that God can be counted on even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of consequences? Or is it only that we trust him in the case where things are already and always going our way? Because if that's the case, it isn't real. It isn't real. Chapter 3, verse 28, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the, king, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of indigo must be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save this way. You know, some guys just never learn. And that's the case with our buddy Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king, it says, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province, in the province of Babylon. You know what this is all saying? There is value to remaining faithful. I asked you when we began this message, 
Let me ask you again. Have you ever seen God come through for you? You know, I venture, and there's about 100-some people here this morning in this service. I venture to say that there are several of you who have seen God come through for you numerous times. And I venture to say there's probably some people here this morning who would say, you know what, I've never experienced God coming through for me. And as such, there's probably a whole bunch of people somewhere in between those things. I've seen God come through me, but that was a long time ago. Or not nearly as often as I would expect have been a follower of Jesus all these years. And maybe, maybe, just maybe this morning, it's time to do some business with him. Bow your heads with me for a second, would you? Lord, I pray for people here this morning. who have a heart to count on you. And I pray especially for people this morning who have never counted on you before. This morning would say, you know what? I know I'm in need of a Savior. Someone to forgive me of my sin. Somebody give me a new hope, a new direction, a new call in my life. Lord, I pray for people here this morning who don't know you and people who don't feel comfortable being alone with you, that you'd let them know how much you love them and how much you want to restore and save them in Jesus' name. And I pray for others here this morning who, in the process of learning how to count on you, that you give them the strength and the courage to resolve some things and to learn how to request some things for you where you get the glory when it happens. Or for those who struggle with this idea of remaining faithful. Lord, we all, as Cody prayed this morning, we all fall short time and time again. Give us, I pray, the grace to recognize when we fall short and how to get back on that horse and, and ride with you and to feel the wind of your Holy Spirit carry us along and to see you do things in our life that make a difference for today and tomorrow and for all eternity. I pray, Lord, that you give us increasingly eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that's open before you in such a way where we learn and value trusting you and counting on you and experiencing your power to meet us in any and every situation we go through. And Lord, we ask for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.